Hi, and welcome to an episode of the Jet Rails podcast. I'm Robert Rand, your host, and uh, I'm joined today by Tim from Leventis. And we're going to be talking with you um, about best practices for planning custom websites and applications. Uh, you know, there's always uh, going to be need for sites that uh, and, and software that aren't cookie cutter, that aren't um, exactly like every other. Um, that's usually some of the secret sauce. And, uh, you know, the goal of today's episode is to really dive in a little bit about how you can plan for that um, successfully, where you're going to have a project that, that gets off the ground and uh, that, that starts to uh, really perform for you uh, through launch and, uh, and, and hopefully years of success. So uh, with no further ado, Tim, uh, would you do us the, the honor of introducing yourself? Sure. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate you having me on today. Um, yeah, so my name is Tim Doloff, and I've been in the custom software solution space for about 25 years. Most of my career, I've been uh, helping helping businesses, clients uh, build custom solutions that um, solve business problems. And um, what, what Leventis does is that that's our primary um, business. Uh, we we build custom software solutions. Uh, we have a heavy focus in e-commerce and financial technologies. Uh, but we do we do business application development across a number of different verticals, different industries, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm passionate about. Awesome, and you know, I one of my favorite questions on the podcast is to ask businesses with unique names. How did Leventis get its name? <laughs> yeah, so the name was around before I I was part of this this organization. But um, the story that I've heard is it's basically based on a few different words um, that represent values of the company. So live invent and success. And so they took uh, those values early on in the company and kind of combined them into a word. Very cool. Oh, that's interesting. You know, usually you get maybe two things put together. I <laughs> yeah. That's probably why I, I had to ask. I would, I would not have guessed that if you had, you know, if I had to throw something in, in the air. Someone um, was ambitious 13 years ago, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these days you really have to be because everything's taken in Google now. That's um, right. Very hard to get get a good uh, domain. Um, so tell me a little bit, you know, custom can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. What types of custom websites and applications does Leventis build these days? Sure. I'll give you some examples. As I mentioned, one big uh, area of our business is e-commerce. And obviously, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, kind of off-the-shelf uh, e-commerce solutions. But there's a lot of clients that have specialized needs for their e-commerce, whether they have unique products uh, that they're trying to sell. They have a unique checkout process. They have unique marketing needs. And so um, we do have a lot of experience and a, and a large focus in building custom e-commerce solutions, mostly based on the Magento uh, framework, which is a very flexible, scalable framework. Um, but we also do uh, a lot of other types of business. Uh, we've done a lot of development for the leasing industry. So essentially helping them build out their um, their credit uh, you know, pipeline uh, tools and processes. Um, so that's an example. We've built custom point of sale systems for very unique uh, unique clients in specialized industries. Uh, we do a lot of business to business development. Some of it you could consider in that e-commerce space as well, but there's other B2B related tools um, that, uh, that our clients have had needs for. So um, there's really no limit to what we're developing. Mostly um, we're talking about web applications or mobile applications that meet specialized needs. And, um, you know, we're, we're usually looking for ways to help our clients solve business problems that there isn't an, exist, an existing tool uh, that, that will solve that. So that's, that's why you would typically go custom. And how is it that you 
identify initially that this is going to be what you would consider custom, even if there's maybe, you know, a framework uh, somewhere underneath that you're starting from, um, which is often a good accelerator. But is it that the the end user, the, you know, or, or, or your client or customer is, um, is identifying that? Or is it that your team is looking at the specs and saying, maybe you thought that this was going to be more straightforward, but really what you need is not an off the shelf? Yeah, it's a combination. Uh, typically, if a client's coming to us, they don't already have a, an, a third party off the shelf solution identified, because if they did, they'd probably be working with you know, the vendor for that particular solution. Um, usually, they're coming to us with a business problem that they they know they need automation or they need, they know they can use a tool, a software or system related tool that would benefit their business process. And they don't know how to go about that. Um, and the way we identify whether it's customer or not is we obviously, we're not trying to re- reinvent the wheel for our clients. If an off the shelf solution is the right solution for them, uh, we recommend it and we'll, uh, you know, hundred percent support them and where, where we can assist, help them with the implementation of that tool or some combination of it. Um, but a lot of the time, it's really about a return on investment decision. It's saying, hey, you could use this third-party tool, except you're going to have to change your business process. You're going to have to change your sales pipeline. Um, you may have to hire additional people to support that adjusted process. Um, and, and if that gets more expensive than the cost to build and support a, a custom solution, that's usually where the... Um, that's usually where the decision process comes in. Now, there's other benefits to custom solutions, but that's a big part of it, obviously. Um, you know, we're trying to help our, our clients drive business efficiencies, and that means potentially doing things with automation that don't require as much um, you know, staff, uh, which is obviously payroll is a, is a huge expense to, to businesses, so where you can help them um, you know, keep their costs as low as possible and, and uh, stay as efficient as possible from a human resource perspective, that's a huge part of custom solutions and business automation. Um, uh, the other reason we'll do custom solutions sometimes is just because even though there's a third-party solution, it may not meet the, the business objectives exactly. Again, you know, I, I mentioned that sometimes that's around um, messaging. Um, you know, so if our client wants to present a, a specific presence online, uh, they want their brand to be on brand, and third-party tools don't offer that flexibility, they can't really provide the image that they're looking for, then sometimes a custom solution makes sense there as well. Absolutely. And would you say that, are are there cases where your team is more or less starting, you know, not that there aren't pieces of code that, you know, that you grab from other places, but where you're starting from more or less line one of code, not necessarily with a, um, uh, with some kind of a framework like a Magento underneath, or um, usually, you know, does it gravitate in, in that direction? No, I would say about 60% of our, of our um, projects are completely custom. Uh, they may rely to some extent on existing libraries, of course. They rely on existing languages and, and the libraries related to those languages. And where it makes sense, we may take advantage of um, you know, control libraries or reporting libraries or things like that that fit within that custom solution. But about 60% of our business is not based on an existing platform or framework. Um, but you know, I mentioned uh, e-commerce being a fairly large uh, piece of our business, and and we mostly use Magento there. And that's a there's a perfect example of where it makes sense too. Um, there's no reason for us to reinvent the e-commerce wheel in most situations. Um, you know, you've already got a framework that has your your catalog. You've got you know a lot of the order processing and the, the shopping tools and a lot of integration components. 
uh, we don't need to build that all from scratch. It wouldn't make sense to. Yeah, who really wants situations. to start over with shipping and uh, and sales tax and you know and uh, the list goes on and on. You know that it, I, I'm with you there. You know coupon systems and um, it it just gets unwieldy when you don't need to. Ideally, then you just start to to build extensions or um, or third party apps that they'll connect in through the APIs. Um, you know you. You work with what what you've got, not to reinvent the wheel and to create something more sustainable. Um, and and I'm with you. You know, it's to me, it's not necessarily always about um, you know saving on payroll. It's it's often about allocating resources. So instead of having to pay someone to you know do this thing that can be automated, they can be out there helping to grow your business in a better way. Sure. Um, you know, so I I think that just as often um, from what I've seen, what when we're able to in the industry. Um, automate a job. It's not necessarily that we uh, we take away a job. It's that we let a business be um, all, all that more successful. Um, and yep. and that's part of what I <laughs> I love about we all get to do every day. Um, you know. So when these come to you, obviously, you know, any e-commerce project by and large, you know, I'm I'm sure you know there are folks that spin up a quick. Uh, you know, SaaS site or such and stick with, you know, pre-existing theme and just throw in some content. Are there, uh, and so, you know, there might be a a one-off case here and there where there isn't much of a project plan, but, you know, for a more established business, um, uh, there's always going to be a project plan if if they want this thing up and and off the ground successfully. Um, how, How do you... Um, go about that process when it's going to be totally custom. Um, I, I imagine that there's more information to collect in order to get it right versus when you're using a framework like Magenta where it already does certain things. So you sort of know what it's going to do right off the bat. Is it a bigger process to go through that particular project planning? Yeah, so it, it does matter. It, it depends on the project and on the scope of the project and the complexity of it, of course. Um, although even with uh, projects like e-commerce projects based on Magento, even though there's a basic platform, they probably wouldn't be coming to us. Our clients wouldn't be working with us if they didn't need customizations. So there's still um, there's still the need to identify the requirements of the project, what the solution is going to look like, and and plan that out to an extent. Now, we do um, follow an agile methodology, which is really considered a best practice in software development today. So um, there was the old school way of doing it where you said, hey, let's sit down for two months and gather all the requirements about this project. Yay, come up with waterfall. A, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you come up with a, you know, a full project plan and estimates on everything. And then the development team goes away for six months or a year and comes back and says, here's what you asked for a year ago. Um, we, you know, we all know that that's not the best way to go right now. Um, uh, they're, they're, the best way is for regular iterations, regular feedback from your stakeholders and from your clients, um, making sure that they have the opportunity to see how things are progressing and provide feedback as it's going through its development cycle. And the sooner in the process that you identify pivots, you identify requirements that are changing or um, just, you know, even uh, misunderstandings between what the requirements, how they were identified and how they're implemented, the sooner you do that, the least costly it is to fix it. So it makes a lot of sense to work more agilely. And what that means is that you know there, it's less about developing you know, all the detailed requirements at the front of the project. Um, it is more at this point, our discovery tends to be more about the high-level business needs 
um, and what the what the pain points are, what's the problem we're trying to solve, what are the general um, overall needs of the project to make sure that as we start to build out the first components that we're um, you know doing that holistically with how the rest of the solution is going to be built out. So there has to be an overarching understanding of what the what the project is going to solve and and um, you know how we're going to go about that, but we don't have to get into quite the level of detail. Um, so that's that said, we still tend to do um, you know a bit of a, a kind of as we start talking to a client about a project. Um, there's an analysis at the beginning to understand the high level needs. There's often a discovery phase still where we're we are getting a little deeper. We're under we're understanding um, you know more about the systems that we may be integrating with, if they have existing systems that this new tool is going to be tied into. Um, so there's still some discovery that has to happen up front uh, and planning that has to happen up front. And in our business as well, um, you know, our clients are still looking for an understanding of the cost of a project. So we, we do have to have enough detail to roughly scope out how many resources a project at this scale is going to work or, you know, use and how many man hours and, and how much time uh, so that we can, um, so that we can actually, uh, you know, give them some idea of what the budget is going to be needed. Yeah, but from there, it's about you know, if, if I'm hearing it correctly, figuring out the the minimal viable project, um, exactly what you know what can be delivered, and then further iterated on. Um, but what what's going to get this uh, this project launched and successful? And that changes over time. <laughs> You know, so maybe the, let's say Magento's in the mix, maybe making sure that this latest security patch is installed is important for launch. And maybe that, I don't know, that, you know, gift card feature, yeah, they could live without for a couple of months. Um, and, and so priorities change. That's the beautiful uh, side of that agile method is it's really about what brings value and not just, uh, you know, not just what got decided months ago, as you suggested. Yeah, and it, there, I've got a perfect example of that. As you know, um, you know today, uh, just from the the news from the last couple of weeks with the coronavirus, um, a lot of our businesses are drastically changing priorities uh, in very short notice, and um, and so that even to the extent of we just signed on a deal with a new client that's looking for changes to their existing e-commerce platform. Um, and uh, we had an initiative built out with them, and we signed it last week, and we were ready to get started on development, and that they. They reached out today and said, our business initiatives have changed drastically, so we're ready to shift direction here. Um, and, you know, it, we're in a state where we can absolutely do that with them. That's fantastic. And that's how relationships are meant to be. That's how you keep long-term happy clients as an agency. I, I, you know, it's by supporting their needs, not just, uh, you know, focusing on, on the piece of paper. That's um, right. So the very definition of being agile. Uh, and what happens? So you get this site launched, um, maintenance management ongoing for a, a site like that. I imagine that as a, if it's a completely custom application, there's no patches coming down the pike. So any updates that are being made are going to come from your team. If it's based on a framework, then maybe there's a mix, you know, maybe, some of the custom work you've done needs to be maintained, such as as new versions of PHP get rolled out, um, and uh, you know, and, and maybe there's official patches for the core or for purchased extensions and things. How, how does um, how does your team plan for that? How do you set up for success with clients, um, knowing that uh, that it's a custom project? Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that's you're you're absolutely right. Uh, obviously, some of your um, you know framework 
uh, related projects like Magento or WordPress related projects, they do have ongoing patches. So you have to plan for that. Those are, it's critical to keep those security patches installed and, um, you know, making sure that the, the, the client and their customers data is safe and their systems are safe. Um, but there is some of that on a, on a fully custom solution as well. Uh, you mentioned PHP. A lot of our custom solutions are built in the Microsoft stack framework. And so same thing with PHP. Um, there are versions of .NET that uh, get deprecated over time. There are specific, um, uh, you know, specific functions within uh, or older versions of a framework that will get deprecated over time. So it's still important to keep those frameworks and you know the, the essentially the languages that you're working with up to date and the libraries that you're using up to date. Um, even on our custom solutions, as I mentioned, sometimes we are using um, existing libraries, whether it's function libraries, um, whether it's a reporting tool set. And those things also have patches that get released for them. So even with custom solutions, there are components that, that do have security patches. Uh, we also have to help our clients be aware of things that are outside of the software environment, like their web server, their, um, their database uh, application server, their, their OS, the OS that these things are running on, their firewalls. You know, if, there's, if there's not a plan in place to maintain those, those are also potential security risks to the application, even if it's not a problem with the code itself. Um, beyond that, from a, from a maintenance perspective, um, there are other things that require maintenance that are beyond security patching. Um, optimization is a key thing. You know, as an application gets used more and more and you get more data in the system, uh, you may get to a point where the amount of records that are being scanned for a particular, um, for a particular function are much greater than the client ever anticipated or greater than, than, than uh, you know, testing happened on. And so we have to monitor and watch for um, where those, those uh, optimizations can come into play and, um, you know, and continually address them. Uh, there's refactoring of code. Uh, you know, best practices and technology um, occur over time. And so it's important that when you build a custom solution, you don't just forget about it for 15 years because um, you know, future browsers may no longer support that particular functional set. Um, and there's a lot of specific examples I could go into there. But then another large part of what we consider maintenance has to do just with um, user feedback. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, we, we get feedback from the stakeholders whenever we're developing an application, but most of the applications that we develop end up having many more users than just the stakeholders that commissioned and are, are asking for it. It may be internal business users, but the, the, the team that we built it out for um, may, you know, maybe, maybe three people helped us kind of plan the requirements and, and design it and development, but there might be 20 other users that are actually using the system. Or in a consumer-facing application, you could have hundreds, thousands, or millions of users that are using it. And um, you're going to get feedback. And if you're, if you're building an application that's supposed to support your business or your customers, um, you know, you want to respond to that feedback. So part of maintenance is making sure that your clients, um, you know, are getting the support that, that, your, that your customers are getting a tool that's usable for them and understanding when there's uh, feedback that they've given, whether it's based on user experience or whether it's based on browser compatibility or whether it's based on accessibility, that those things can be supported over time and, and we can respond to that feedback. So maintenance and covers, uh, covers security, ongoing optimization and, um, and, and best practices, but also um, just, you know, ongoing user feedback. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, one of my coworkers uh, here at JetRails talks all the time about that trifecta that you need the customer to be involved at the you know at, at an appropriate level. You need a development team that's um, that's it's really stepping up to the plate, and you need a, a hosting team 
doing the same and, and they've all got to work well in tandem together. Um, otherwise, the, the long-term viability isn't all that great. Um, we still see lots of users that just try to self-host on AWS, not fully managing, monitoring, maintaining. Um, you know, and by the time that we get there, they've hit some some pain points. Um, you know, I imagine that uh, that your team has seen your share of projects that you didn't necessarily um, start, <laughs> but yeah. that you've you've taken over. Um, looking at that, maybe from the reverse, when you're doing something custom, you know, Magento has documentation. Uh, sure. But custom work, documentation, generally speaking, doesn't exist. You're, you just wrote the, the code. Uh, you just wrote the application or the, the extensions or, or plugins or modules or what have you. Um, what type of um, uh, rule of thumb is there in terms of providing documentation uh, when it comes to these applications? You know, is it sometimes about providing some material as these as these businesses hire more employees and need to train them on how to use the software? Is it about, you know, if, if there's ever going to be new developers working on some facet of the project? Um, how, how does that come about? Sure. Yeah. You kind of uh, nailed a couple important points there. Uh, one is um, the maintainability of the application. So the code and the infrastructure and the architecture of it needs to have clear documentation because whether it's on our team where we do have um, team members that move around to different projects. We want to make sure that we can support that application five years from now or 10 years from now, even if it's completely different um, you know, developers that are involved in that, that process. So uh, we, we keep a clear um, repository of documentation internally about every uh, client system and application. Uh, that's all documentation that we'll freely share with our clients if they are, you know, if it's part of their request or they ask for it at any time. But it's important for us to keep that for our own um, ongoing maintenance of the application and make sure that there's there's a clear line of, of handoff as um, as team members change or, or or team members move around to different projects um, and then and and that's uh, just a, 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 to go a little bit more morose there uh, we also call that the bus plan because you have to make sure that any one person in your organization if they were to get hit by a bus or whatever happened to them that there's a you know that it's not going to cause a failure in the, the ability to support the business uh, in the application. A lot of these applications and, and sites wind up being central to these businesses. So there's a lot of people whose, you know, success and livelihood are on the line when, uh, you know, <laughs> when that person disappears. Um, on the hosting side, we see it as when you've got that one, you know, server guy and he's out of the country or unavailable or, you know, something happens, uh, no one else knows how to access things, how to maintain things, you know, you become up a creek without that proverbial paddle. Um, right. Absolutely the same thing applies to, to development that, you know, when there's that custom system, there's no documentation, no one knows what's going on. It's a lot of work to try to read through someone else's code and understand what they were trying to get at. Yeah, um, and sometimes it's not even about being able to read the code. Sometimes it's even getting access to the code, you know, whether it's, um, you know, libraries that were compiled and then the, you know, the original source code wasn't stored in a secure uh, re repository that's accessible by the team members that need it, you know. So absolutely, the documentation and, and maintaining a clear process for handoff uh, is an important part of the development life cycle. Uh, the other part of documentation, which you touched on, was um, user documentation. And, um, and that comes in a couple different forms um, for, our, uh, for our, our clients that are developing applications for their consumers. 
Um, a lot of the time that is more in the form of a kind of a marketing type of documentation, something that shows the consumers how to use the basics of the tool, but also um, markets the the value that they're getting for it, you know, from that from that tool or why why you're working with them. Um, or their internal business applications where it really is more of a training guide, a user guide, so that anybody who's using that system can reference it, can learn from learn how to use it, learn where to go to find what they need to. And um, the quality of that documentation is particularly important uh, to make sure that they can reference the information they need to do their job um, easily. And that if a new team member comes in and joins the team, they can be trained with it and, and learn how to use it the same way. Well, makes sense to me. And you know, when you're getting involved in a custom project like this, are there any, or when someone asks for one, are there any common concerns that you have that uh, I'll bring it back to maybe a risk analysis that uh, you want to make sure that they know that the, the uh, client knows what they're about to get involved in. Um, you know, any sort of process for that um, to make sure that everyone is uh, is on the same page, and um, you know, you're setting not only yourself but the client up for success by going with a custom project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and there's some there's some clear kind of common value to going with a custom solution. Uh, one is, um, you know, third party su- uh, solutions that are out there that are heavily used in the marketplace are going to be the most likely to be targeted. Uh, by hackers or by, um, you know, for exploits. And so one of the values of, um, of going with the custom solution is it does remove some of that risk. Um, it, it takes it away because it's, um, it's just less visible. Uh, you know, the hackers, unless they're specifically targeting that business or that customer, are not going to know to even look for this particular code or to look for the solution. So that is one of the risks that we look at with a third-party solution. And even the third-party solutions that we work with frequently, the libraries that we work with or the platforms like Magento or WordPress, uh, we have to take that risk into account as we're making a decision on, um, on which type of solution we go with. Uh, but there are other factors too. Um, risks like maintainability is very important. Um, so one of the things that are, that are that's important, uh, an important decision when ma- going with the custom solution is that um, if you're if that custom solution is built off a language or a framework that is um, fairly common, fairly well supported, um, you know you you know you always have a path to support that in the future. Um, if you are using a third party solution that is very proprietary, that's not open source, that's closed box, that's black box, um, that means that you're one dependent on that vendor indefinitely to support it. Um, and although we we build awesome relationships with our clients. We hope that they're always working with us to support their applications. Um, because we work on common frameworks and with common languages, and because um, you know we provide all of the code and accessibility to that code to those clients, they have the opportunity to maybe um, you know hire their own internal development team or take over that project from their own internal development team if they need to. If you're working with a third-party solution, you never have that option. And you also have the risk, what happens if that third-party vendor goes out of business? What if they get acquired and change their service level, uh, you know, agreements and change their uh, their service offerings? So, you know, there there is there's those are a lot of the, um, the the items of risk assessment that we go through with the client when making a decision between a custom solution and a and an off the shelf solution. Sure, I mean, and a lot of topics that we run into. We just had a, an episode on the podcast with uh, Sakuri, where you know, for sure, um, there's good data from companies uh, like Sakuri that that's going to show that um, the platforms that are at the most risk of uh, hacking attempts and and such, 
they're the, the most common platforms. You know, it's, uh, it may seem obvious, um, but hackers get to just scan various WordPress sites, Magento sites, other sites looking for known vulnerabilities, like sites that aren't up to date on patching. Sure. Um, and, and so that's certainly um, an issue. You know, at, at JetRails, we put a lot into play to help our customers on platforms like those uh, to protect themselves so that that's uh, less of an issue. But, you know, it, it's certainly part of the, the reality um, that you have to be <laughs> vigilant. And, you know, in terms of software being supported, we're similarly, we're running into lots of merchants that are still on Magento One that um, that are going to try to hold off um, vacating that platform as long as they can, get as much value out of their investment into Magento One as they can. And, um, you know, we're putting out a, a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of material and, uh, you know, putting a lot into play to help those merchants to do that successfully. Um, but uh, there, there's a lot of businesses out there that wish that Magento One wasn't reaching its official end of life and that they didn't need anything else and that that would just live on. And when you're when you're dealing custom, it is a bit different. I'm sure there could come a point where the viability of something, let's say that something, you know, way back when 10 years ago was built with Flash, well, that, you know, that's just uh, a language that's naturally uh, come and gone. Yep. And so, you know, there may, it, there's no guarantee that your site is, is going to really be maintainable forever without some rebuild. But um, it's nice when at least sometimes you're in the driver's seat. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That's definitely one of the advantages with it. And like you mentioned, um, you know, obviously there's still, even though there is some risk with that, with some of these third party solutions, it doesn't mean they're not the right solution. You know, it's just, that's, that's a conversation that we have with our clients. I think it's important to, to have that full understanding of what the risks are when you start mm -hmm. a project. Yeah. So, you know, I, I imagine that there are times that so going back to maybe some of those initial questions I was asking you know, that there's someone that comes in and uh, they're requesting custom and, you tell them you don't really need to go custom. You can use this off the shelf and it's going to be perfect. It's going to save you money. It's going to be easier to maintain um, and vice versa. Uh, you know, so that's probably par for the course. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll add, I think this has been a, you know, fantastic <laughs> look at, um, at, at the overall process and planning and thought, uh, thought patterns that should be happening. For projects like these, um, any final thoughts? Um, anything else that comes to mind? No, not uh, you know. I, I would just say, I guess that again, kind of reiterating the the reason why you want to look at a custom solution um, and and why you want to look at a partner that is going to um, you know help you build that solution is the flexibility you get from it. Um, you know, essentially, what it's giving you is is complete control over how you run your business and the the processes that you follow. Um, if you're going to be competitive, you have to stand out. So if you're doing the same thing with the same tools that your competitors are doing, you probably aren't finding any particular efficiencies. You haven't you haven't found the way to do to run your business better than someone else. Um, if but if you can if you can identify um, opportunities to improve your business processes, then it's about you know finding or creating the the tools that are going to support those. Um, you know, those specializations and those changes. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's uh, really helpful for people to understand business users to understand that off the shelf is not the only way to go. Uh, they're, they're, they're sometimes it's the right fit, but there, there are other great solutions out there. Absolutely. Tim, I can't thank you enough for joining today. Uh, as always to our listeners, um, feel free to subscribe, uh, wherever you listen to find podcasts like this, uh, as well as on YouTube, um, social media, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, uh, as 
at JetRails. Uh, you'll hear about the latest episodes and um, be able to track some great content that, that we're uh, putting together for you. And um, to all the, those sellers out there, we know that there's a lot going on in the market right now. Um, you know, some folks are seeing a lot of ups, others are seeing uh, various downs. We're going to try to focus on sharing information in the coming weeks that's going to help uh, through that and and help uh, help you navigate. Um, you know, we're, we're here for you. Um, if you do have particular questions about things that are coming up uh, in your business that weren't in the past, feel free to reach out, whether we just give you a free consult and, and try to help however we can, or um, whether we, uh, you know, steer you towards some, some partners or um, create a, an episode around your question. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and uh, happy selling everyone. Stay healthy. Thanks, Robert.